0: but so many people are afraid of that first step, right? Because they don't picture the first step. They picture the big step and they picture this big outcome. So it becomes really overwhelming for them. So like all of my programs and all of my advice, every video I have on YouTube is broken down into little bits that can become achievable so that it doesn't seem so overwhelming. That's the coaching that I got when I was younger. And that's the way that I was able to do things. I didn't think about, "Ah, I want to be a huge business owner oh, I want to get one client or, oh, I want, like I would break it into little things so that it wasn't so scary. And I think that that's exactly what you just said. It's like these smaller things that you can achieve that suddenly change the way that you see things. That it's all possible.
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, If others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone. And you don't have to wait for others. After recording with Brad, and I recommend listening to my episodes with him, he suggested inviting his longtime friend and colleague, Marnie, a woman who coaches men on attraction, dating, and things like that. She pioneered coaching men in this area as a woman, as you'll hear in our conversation, helping transition the whole field from pickup artistry in ways that you'll hear her describe into something more about developing confidence, and you'll hear it describe what it is now. Her 14 years of experience led her to an expertise and an understanding and skills and insight and fun that are unique in the world into seeing how men are trying to learn how to relate with women and opening up with her that they don't open up or we don't open up with almost anyone. And she shares these things. I predict that you will find her story fascinating. And on a personal note, I'm continuing the opening up about my practicing and coaching, dating, attraction and seduction, things like that. So you'll get to hear me opening up more with her and more of my evolution into, in something very important to me where I felt vulnerable. And, and well, you'll hear me talking to her about it. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Marnie. Marnie, can I use your full name or is, is it Marnie Wing Girl Method?
0: It's Marnie Wingirl. I mean, you can say Marnie Canaris. I just find that a lot of people have difficulty saying that. So I try to make it easier on them by saying Marnie the Wing girl.
1: Well, glad to have you here. And maybe if you don't mind starting off by sharing a little bit about what you do for people who haven't heard of you before.
0: Yeah. i I don't even like using the word coach, but I coach men on how to attract and understand women so that they don't have to be jerks and they don't have to be wimps. I help them become a stronger, more confident and comfortable version of themselves and give them the skills and tools they need to get what they want with women.
1: And you've been doing it for a while.
0: My God, for so long. Yeah. Don't show the video (laughs) of this. They're going to see like an 85 year old woman or what they think is uh, no, but I've been doing this for a very long time. I've been doing this for 14 years, which is
1: crazy. And what's it like? I have a feeling when I started doing this stuff and, and let me get some background also, uh, Brad, who was on this, podcast a couple episodes ago, he put us in touch to, just to talk because I've known, I know a bunch of people in the field (laughs) because he's wonderful. Yeah. And, um, oh, by the way, it's audio only. Uh, so they won't see. Oh, so I'm 24. That's
0: what. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and he said, get in touch. And so we're talking now and I'm kind of curious. I, when I got started, I felt like totally misunderstood and I felt like I was alone uh, like, I felt like everyone else understood things that I didn't. And I have the feeling that you have gotten an understanding about men in a situation that, that aren't particularly successful in their relationships with women.
0: Yeah, for sure. I definitely have. It's it's been wonderful for me for my own relationships and my, my own experiences with men. Yeah. Getting this little bit of insight from the people that I work with.
1: Oh, that sounds like there's stories there. Yeah. How so?
0: Well, because I'm a woman and I don't, typically get to hear men pour their hearts out to me. I got to hear everything from their side, their perspective and not them being angry or them being bitter, even though there was some of that going on. I got them, you know, really opening up and being vulnerable towards me. And that was very interesting. I had had experiences with men in my past. I was always friends with men, but like with my father or other guys that I had dated and it got to heal a lot of things for me hearing what was going on from their point of view. So I thought it was really fast. I still think it's really fascinating and it doesn't ever seem to, to, to change this miscommunication and misunderstanding between sexism between people in general. It's just something that's going to go on forever until we learn how to speak more clearly and openly about what we think, feel, and want.
1: This is, I mean, it's fascinating to you. It's fascinating to me too. I'm, I'm curious if you can sense what's it like for a man. Are you the first woman for a lot of these guys who yeah. listens without judgment. Tell me if I'm misunderstanding.
0: Oh, I judge like crazy, but yeah, no, <laughs> no. I, I would say <laughs> I was the first woman um, to be part of the pickup artist community. And I will say that there's a lot of other women who do give give advice out there. And especially now, since I've been doing this, there are some great women who, who give men advice and insight and evil-free information. And there's some women who give typical female information from the, from the real- not from the real female point of view, but without acknowledging that it. it's men who are trying to collect the information from them. So some women are good at it. Some women are not so good at it.
1: Can you tell when you're listening to them and you're helping them, I'm guessing that a lot of them are feeling like, oh my God, this is, I didn't, I've never talked to a woman like this before. And no woman oh, has absolutely. understood me this way. Yeah. And cause I presume, I presume this is very professional. And so it's going to be not, you're not having, you're developing a relationship with them. That's intimate, but not the intimacy that's normally you think of between a man and a woman.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that is a strange experience for a lot of men. Uh, Men have typically fallen into the friend zone, but that's not a real friendship. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of the people that I work with, and I've worked with hundreds of thousands of people over the past 14-ish years, I think that, yes, I am the first woman that they're able to open up to and be vulnerable. and the first woman that can listen without either shaming, scorning, or at least having their my their own emotional attachment to the situation coming back at them. So I think having that separation there and that nice little mid person being me is really beneficial for these guys because they also get to hear it from my point of view. Like so my husband and I when we go into a couples counseling session and we talk about how each of us are feeling from our point of view. We we do have a therapist listening who's saying who stops and says, this is what Marnie's experiencing. This is what Jordan's experiencing. And I think that in some way I am kind of the half of the couples counselor that says to them like, no, 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 no. But this is what's going on for the woman. And everybody can hear it in a much more accepting way because it's not coming directly from another woman's mouth that they are either infatuated with, attracted to dating or married to.
1: Uh, Before we start recording, I'm really, this is really intriguing that, um, I'm trying to think of how, I haven't had the conversation with the woman that you're talking about all these guys having, and I can't believe, okay, you've been doing it for a long time. The demand remains and is is, is probably getting stronger all the time.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: How come this doesn't blossom into a full industry? Or is it that, it is. I, that I'm not aware of?
0: This is a of, huge industry. The dating and relationship world, <laughs> it's a massive.
1: In the particular, the female wing girl type of I'm not aware of too many women who are coach men in the way that you coach men. I know a lot of guys who coach guys in this way. Yeah.
0: There's, there's a, there's a lot of women popping up there that, that do more formal coaching instead of just going on YouTube and giving advice. There there are a lot of others out there for sure. Cause I think Mm -hmm. it's the same way that a lot of men coaching women that's popping up as well, like Matt Hussey and, um, Evan Mark Katz, like they do wonderful work for coaching women because they have the male perspective. And the, the thing is, and I've always said this, I think that there is room for both types of coaches. There, If a guy's going to, guys need mentors, they need to see a visual of something at certain times so that they can either replicate or at least feel what it feels like to, and be in close proximity to somebody who is being successful with women. But They also need that other five to ten percent that that male coach is not able to provide to them, and sometimes a lot of the guys don't need that five to ten percent, but it, it does eventually end up biting them in the butt later on down the road when they get into a relationship. But the yeah, the five to ten percent that myself and other female coaches offer, I think, is priceless, and vice versa. When any of my girlfriends have a major issue with a guy, I can definitely. Help support them and care for them. And I can definitely give more insight now that I've been doing what I've been doing for the past 14 years. But if it's a real issue about what that man is thinking and what his intentions are, I say, ask my husband because I don't have that little bit of information and all like the little nuances in your brain and the way that you act and the things that you do. I'm still going to be res- responding and seeing whatever situation it is from the female point of view and from my own experiences. Granted, a lot of my experiences now are also the male experience. So I get a bit of that information, but it's, it's not the same as having it directly from a man's mouth, a man who was very successful with women and who's done all the things that guys are doing. So, you know, it's wonderful to have both perspectives. And most people have access to these perspectives on a constant basis. They're just not asking for them. They don't have to hire a female coach. They can ask females on the street or ask females who are their friends to say what's really going on when a woman says this. And, you know, but they just don't.
1: Yeah, this is something that's been so odd to me. I've lived in a foreign countries for periods of time. And when I'm in France, say I can, I'm not French. I didn't grow up in France. I don't know exactly what it's like to be French. But if I see a French man doing something, I can kind of simulate what it's like to be French and imagine. Yeah, I can get what they're doing. Now I've been around women more than I've been around French people, right? And it will never stop. That like, no matter how much I learn about women, I I can simulate as best I can, but I I can never get it. Like, because always... you're
0: not a woman. <laughs> yeah, you don't have the same hormones. You don't have the same built-in evolutionary biology. It's it's just it just is like you're and at the the end of the day, even though you might be able to emulate French, you're not French. Like even Mm -hmm. if you live there for eight years, you're still not French. Like a real French person is going to say like, you're not French. You get it on a certain level. If you immerse yourself in living in France, but you still don't get it at that extreme level. So, and, but that's okay. You're, it's just about learning and experiencing and at least being open to try to want to understand those things.
1: Yeah. And, there's another thing that happens too, which is that sometimes to emulate what it's like to be a woman, it's uncomfortable. Like I don't want to, like, yeah. um, generally there's, there's, there's a difference between men and women in, uh, submission and dominance. And for me to imagine like what's, what it's like to be the opposite is for me, like, ah, oh, I don't want to be that way. It doesn't feel good at all. Oh,
0: thanks for putting down my gender. But,
1: no. <laughs> well, it's a match between me. No, it's not I'm joking. Ju- I'm, ju- I'm yeah. joking with you.
0: No, but I'm the same way. Like I don't, there's certain points in my own relationship where I don't want to step into the masculine role where it's, it's icky for me where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to do this. And there's a lot of women who say that as well. Like, I know that you want me to just approach and you want me to call and you want me to ask you out, but I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy. And mm-hmm. that's a, it's a very hard space for women as well. They can do, you know, be dominant, independent. They can be very assertive, but to have to step into that masculine role for many women is, is, is either challenging or something they don't want to do.
1: Is it, there's like no short, this is such a wealth of, it's so intriguing and so interesting. And now talking to you, especially before we started the recording, when I was like, Oh, I've, I've always been worried about connecting my name to dating coach because, because a lot of here, I thought a lot of people just be like, okay, some people just say pickup artist, misogynist, trickery. It's all scamming. It's, and I do this coaching with executives and all this like teaching at NYU and Columbia and stuff. I've always been worried, like, what if it gets tarnished? And and it's held me back from sharing all these things.
0: I understand that. I, compl- I, them publicly, I
1: understand that. And, but now- always this happens. And I I knew that this would happen, which is that once I start sharing, I'm like, ah, why didn't I do this earlier?
0: Well, I think maybe the thing is, is that maybe you had a certain perception about that as well. So it's like, if you believe that, then maybe they believe that on an even more heightened level. And then, because I would say I, I was very similar, you know, because in the past, most of the male industry for dating advice was pickup artist, and, and there was a really bad name around pickup artists. And when I would say I was the you know first female pickup artist right away, that's got a, a, a million things attached to it. But there were certain moments in certain audiences when I would speak to them, like meaning groups of friends or gr- groups of new people that I was meeting where I'd be like, eh, maybe I shouldn't say that that's what, not that that's what I do, but that's the industry that I'm a part of. So I would I would tweak it in different ways. I would I was always proud that I was I was coaching men how to understand women, but sometimes I would say, yeah, I was like the first female pickup artist. And then for other people I'd say, I coach men on how to attract women without being a jerk or without being a big wimp. And if, you know, that was more appealing to people. No matter what, anytime I ever said what I do, people's ears perked up. Mm-hmm. Some people were <laughs> yeah. disgusted or turned off, that's on them. But if their ears perked up and it almost always starts an interesting conversation about dating relationships that made me very happy
1: well i had this i guess i had a preconceived notion which might be the case i'm not sure i'm curious your thoughts the label misogynist if it were applied to a man as opposed to applied to a woman people accuse you of that a lot or (laughs) yes i am a self-labeled
0: misogynist sometimes um like because i do have some views that women may not like not necessarily ones that belittle and put down women but just i do speak up for men a lot so i have yes been labeled as a anti-feminine anti-feminist and misogynist before in the past but i i'm a pro-humanist is what i am so i'm not anti or pro either gender or any gender it's just being
1: pro-human and do you think i'm i'm uh overly cautious or overly nervous that if, if a man gets called misogynist, it sticks to him more than if a woman is, gets called misogynist.
0: Yeah, but you can quickly diffuse that. If somebody wants to label you as misogynist without hearing how you really think about things, then what does that label them as? Right? That's a closed-minded, guarded individual who is not open to change and very stubborn. So you can just put that back. But if you, if you're standing in front of a person and you're expressing your points of view and they view it as Misogynist, and you think you're coming from a really authentic place, and you're being as fair and open as possible, and still being honest about things. Then, like, who cares if that's the label that gets thrown onto you?
1: Oh well, I'm thinking if I'm teaching at NYU and someone says that to the dean, and the dean is like, "Oh, we can't have that here,"
0: but they could say that about anybody who's standing up on stage. Some scientist who gets up on stage to do a presentation may may say, "Hey, lady, come and stand up," and some woman in the audience might be like, I did not like how he made that statement. That was extremely disrespectful to like you. It doesn't matter. I, I just think that you are a dating coach. You had your own experiences and you collected a lot of information, did a lot of research to get to the place that you are now. I wouldn't see that as a negative. if somebody does have an issue with that, then I mean, that's their issue, not yours. I'm just trying, I guess I'm trying to coach you right now, but I, but from, from (laughs) the stance of understanding, if you're going to speak at NYU or Columbia or somewhere else, I can understand what, why you wouldn't want those things.
1: It's not that if I'm going to speak there, I get a paycheck from there, which could go away.
0: Right. And I understand that. They could fire me, you know, I don't know. I This is like a whole other political conversation about like, whether I know or not, you aren't a misogynist or I don't know. Are you a misogynist? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, So, not- so then you're yeah. not. And so like if you were going on stage and bashing women or telling guys how to trick women or even in your separate life doing that, then I can see people having issue, but they they can't have issue based on a perception because of a title tag that you have. It would have to be with, I don't know. I just, it, those, those things wouldn't affect me the same way. I would be very proud of them.
1: This is my, I, I've just kind of had a certain model for how things might happen. And I'm only now talking about it. I mean, I'd have the conversations of talking about men and women and attraction and what attracts and what doesn't attract and how to learn these things. I've been doing, I've been having those conversations for decades. Yeah,
0: it's called anthropology. Other
1: guys. <laughs> And this part, the the coming the coming out, if that's the right terminology, is is that's a more recent thing. I'm kind of working through some stuff that I just kind of took for granted.
0: Yeah, I get
1: that. Uh, I have this model of uh, the Charles Barkley spitting thing. Do you know about Charles Barkley? Okay, you know Charles Barkley.
0: <laughs> yes. Why is he a spitter when he talks?
1: I forget if I said this to Brad when I was recording that conversation. All right.
0: I, lo- I love Charles Barkley, by the way.
1: And do you love him in part because? he says things that other people would get fired for. And then people love him for it. Like he got pulled over for speeding one time or going through a red light or stop sign. And he's like, officer, some woman wants to give me a blow job and I'm going over there now. And like that gets out. And a lot of people that would, people would be like, what's wrong with that guy? And in other words, other, but now people are like, that's Barkley. Charles is that way.
0: <laughs> see, I don't see it as he, he gets out of things that other people wouldn't. I see it as he takes chances and he, puts out the truth instead of trying to cover it up. And sometimes people respect that depending on who your audience is. I love that. That's what I love about him. I like that he, that he doesn't have a filter. And if he has a filter that insults people, I think he's okay with that. He also knows how to like walk that line and not go too far. At least that's what I've seen from his 50 plus years of doing, or I don't even know how long he's been like, um, not an announcer, but uh, whatever it's called. Uh, analyst, but yeah, I love that he just says what he wants and believes. I think that's amazing, and there's there's no uh, editing for him, which I think is just awesome. And he's also not disrespectful at the same time. He's he's not a jerk. I don't think he is a jerk. I think he just says what he thinks and doesn't really have that filter. But I think the filters that he subconsciously has. Are at least telling him not to say certain things, or that he doesn't believe those certain things are that extremely hurtful and harmful to other people.
1: I love that about him too. I think that's the people who love him. That's, I mean, certainly his basketball skill and that too. So it turns out he, as a child growing up, was very shy and was not like that. And I think one of the big things that made that happen was the spitting incident. So this is early in his career. He's playing somewhere and some fans are uh, taunting him, heckling him. And I guess he's young enough at the stage that he doesn't – later. obviously now the fans are taunting him, great, whatever, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm a basketball player and one of the greats. So they're bothering him and epithets are tossed around and things like that. And at one point he goes over and I think people thought he was spitting on the people, but he spat like on the ground in their direction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And inadvertently it gets on a 10-year-old girl who was like there. And so headlines the next day, Charles Barkley spits, spits on 10-year-old on 10, girl.
0: Right.
1: And there's some interviews. If you go online, it's like uh, Pat Riley's interviewing him. And, and I think he says, like, even my mom was like, Charles, we're not backing you up on this one, spitting on a 10-year-old girl. And there's all the middle steps. But like he became friends with the family and he could have backed down and he, he could have attacked, but he didn't. He he befriended them. And he I think it was a big part of a transition. That it was like a, a, a crucible that he went through, something like that. And I think there's a lot of people who've gone through crucibles like that to be able to speak authentically and genuinely without, uh, to be able to become Charles. I'm not sure.
0: I don't know what you know what the impetus was for him to suddenly just be like, okay, now I can say whatever I want. But I think any experience like that where you have to be vulnerable in the public, yeah, is going to open you up a little bit more. I don't know if you watch the show, This Is Us. Do you watch it? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, it's a very cute show. It's like one of the two shows that I watch on television, but the other night there's this, um, I think she's like 15 or 14 old girl on the show. And she has come out to her family that she's a lesbian. And she was sort of freaking out over Thanksgiving because at her school, there's this, um, big thread on Facebook or Instagram or something that people are putting up their crushes on Instagram and putting up pictures And so she starts talking to her uncle and says, you know, I could just jump in and put up a picture of a guy and not say anything. But if I put up a picture of a woman, I'm saying a hell of a lot to those people. And so her uncle said, you know what? Come with me. We're going to go get some food. And she's like, okay, but we're going to have Thanksgiving anyway. So they end up going to this drive-thru and he says, you're going to come out to the, drive through person when he asks you for your order
1: like a random person right someone, a random
0: person he's no like consequences. he's like you don't have to come out to 100 people today come out to one and see how it feels and so he he placed his order he ordered some french fries and a burger and then she goes my name is tess whatever and i'm gay and then he goes okay <laughs> do you want ketchup <laughs> and so then she just had this big smile on her face and later on in the show they show her you know putting up a, a picture of a, of a woman on the thread that's going on on instagram And like those little little moments that give you a positive response from people or at least just a response from people help you to navigate the world. Because before you have all these reactions or responses from people or just experiences in general – that have feedback from other individuals. You don't know how it's going to go. You have the story that you're telling yourself in your head, which is limited because you haven't had to do a lot of things yet as you're younger and you get older. So experiences like that one help to open you up in different ways. Oh, people aren't so, you know, rude about things. People are very open to me being gay. There's all these, those lessons that are learned that your brain like starts to reprogram itself so that you can start to see things in a whole new way which I find fascinating. Like, I love how the brain works. I think it's absolutely amazing. But maybe that's something that happened for Charles Barkley as well. He's like, oh, wait a second. The whole world hated me for 10 minutes. But then I apologize. And I'm actually like becoming friends with these people who I had done this thing to. And they are so forgiving. Like, that could have been a a big whoa moment for him where suddenly his brain rewires. And he's like, "I, I think totally differently about people. And then he can move forward and collect more of those experiences and seek them out.
1: Thank you. You're giving me this feeling of like, Oh, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Why was I being so secretive?
0: Because you did. And that's, but that's your story now. That's interesting. I used to, you know, I used to be not, not a shame, but I used to be sort of questionable about whether or not I should say that I do X and I do Y. And now I've done it and I feel absolutely amazing. Yes. I wish I had done it before, but at least I didn't do when I was 50 or a hundred or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's great that you did it when you did it.
1: Oh, shucks. You make me feel so good. <laughs> uh, So enough about me. I want to go, if it's okay, when you work with guys, what are some, any, are there any like really great stories of that you've walked a man through? Oh
0: gosh, I have a million great stories. (laughs) Let the record
1: show the facial expression was like, are you kidding? No,
0: I was just like, oh (laughs) gosh, I have to now think about people that I work with. Oh my gosh. I, I get, I get amazing stories every single day. And it's, it's, it's stories of why, exactly what you just said oh, I wish I had found you 20 years ago. I wish I had found you two years ago. Oh, my, Marnie, I, I didn't even see it that way. Like those are the best things. And I get emails like that every single day. But some wonderful stories that I have, I've probably been invited to over 90 weddings around the world. Okay. And my, my goal is not to get people married. That's a great side effect. My goal is to help men open themselves up to the options that they'd like, whether they want to go have sex in a bathroom for a night, Or they want to have a long-term relationship. I want to help them do it authentically, honestly, and without being a jerk. So one of the best stories. I always love the story of this guy named Brandy, who was a refrigerator repairman, rode motocross bikes, like was really freaking cool on paper, actually. But he just didn't believe that he was a guy of value. Everybody else around him was a man of value, but he had to bend over backwards to be with women and he you know would chase women down and not really put him true self out there. And he would be complacent and kind of mute. And when he would be with me, he would be awesome and outgoing and funny. And we did a little bit of coaching with each other. And then about three months after we had done some coaching, he ended up meeting his now wife. And I think, I think mother of two children, but he met her and he, the biggest thing that we were working on was really just giving himself permission to go and approach women that he wanted to. And we worked on approach anxiety and all of that stuff. And he saw her I forget where they were, but they were abroad. And he said, I say, I gave myself a three, two, one. I approach her. I talked to her. I express that I'm very uncomfortable right now. And that's okay. But that if, you know, he didn't come up to her, he would just, you know, go crazy. Um, and then, yeah, they've been together for, for a very long time now. And that's, that's the constant story. That I hear, Randy just for some reason pulls on my heart. I don't know why, because he was just so wonderful. But yeah, I have stories like that every single day of that happening for guys, and even for for men who are in marriages that I work with. Like for them to just understand their wife's point of view and see things from her side and adjust their behavior just a little bit to get that woman to open up to them again. I mean, that's a huge reward. Since I am a married woman who is in a very similar position with her spouse. Because that's what happens in marriage. It's wonderful to hear that somebody's successfully doing it and getting like a good day out of their marriage.
1: I can't help but read, I feel like a lot of people love their jobs, and I bet not many love their job more than you love yours. I'm reading like, a real joy in what you do.
0: I do. I have, I love, I've been fascinated with people forever. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's crazy. I've been doing this for a long time and I really like it. I just like helping people. And I, for some reason really like helping men. I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, I love, I love my work. It's if I have to have a job, this is the best one that I would ever have.
1: And you really blazed it. Tra- I can't, I guess you didn't completely blaze the trail. You're not the only person, the first person, the first woman who's ever helped men.
0: No. But well, you're certainly... I, I was the one who was out there, the first one out there doing it. Yeah, for sure. But, um.
1: And so you had to rewrite a lot of stuff.
0: I will say, I feel like I had a huge part in transforming the pickup artist community To a more open community that wasn't so underground and so fixated on routines, techniques, and tools, and which I still think that those routines, techniques, and tools are great for a lot of people and you have to learn from something at first. But I really think that I got it out from that where people were actually working more on becoming authentic, honest, while applying some of these skill sets instead of focusing on manipulation and objectifying women to get what they want.
1: And you had to, so you had to rewrite a lot of things. Can you tell me more about that transition and and your role in it?
0: I just think that I was the first woman that they allowed who ran a business. Um, So I was separate from any of the other pickup artists where they had other girls come up on stage, but I was the first one who owned my own business and was actively giving advice to men. And then tons of other people in the pickup arts community would come and interview me or invite me to come speak at their events. And yeah, I, I think because... Yes, I was giving that female perspective. I wasn't focusing on routines, techniques, and tools as heavily as they were. And I was focusing more on learning how to ask for what you want. And yes, applying some of these little tips and tools that I think psychologically do have an effect and impact on women, but doing it from a more healthy place, I guess, or mindful place. I don't even want to say that word, but like, for like a healthier place where it wasn't like, I'm going to get every girl in this room. It's like, I'm going to get that girl that I want. I'm going to do it without making her feel like crap. And I'm going to feel awesome afterwards as well. Whether I see her again or not great, but both of us will walk away happy. I feel like I was a part of that transition.
1: Yeah. I guess I was a part of that too. Not a part of it in the, um, I mean, I was there.
0: I would think you were too.
1: I actually, did Brad ever, I got to tell you, I think I said this in the previous recording, but um, uh, Brad said when I started coaching with him, so I, I, I did his thirty thirty thing and for a one year coaching program through him. And I later learned that he would anticipated me becoming a coach, but I didn't know that. So I had to try out. Oh man, could I tell you about the tryout? Yeah. We're in LA and first there's a part where we're in the mansion at the time. And we there's me and maybe five or six other guys who are trying out to be coaches. And so he and Jake, uh his right-hand yeah. men are asking us questions and we have to fire back answers really quick. Like I don't remember what the questions were, and I got most of them, but not all of them. Then the next part was we had to go to a bar in like early evening, maybe late afternoon, and it's almost empty. And we have to go one by one, he and Jake with clipboards are following us as one by one we have to approach whatever is there, whatever women are there. And so I was one of the last ones to go up. So I'm going through a bar. There's, It's got like five or six, 10, maybe 10 women, I forget. And they've all been approached by the people who learned from the same techniques. And next to like five, 10 feet away are these two guys who are like, what, six, five, six, six, dressed like rock stars, writing stuff down, watching you. Right. <laughs> And uh, that's
0: hilarious I love that
1: yeah it was really like what I mean it's great it's it's um it's liberating in a sense of like to you, you go into a different place and you become something that I don't know I, I've done some acting and it's like being on stage and, yeah, and I love it.
0: and it like probably feels good all over your body I'm just I'm just envisioning that going on and like how much fun that would be.
1: Yeah, I got invited to Vegas. <laughs>
0: First of all, to be Brad, and then for you, like you just because you you're, you've built this camaraderie with all these guys as well. So you're you're not thinking about the women; you're thinking about you having a good time and you maybe proving that you can be a coach. So you're taking all this—it's like a form of meditation, actually. It's taking all this focus off of the women and putting it back into your hands, which is where it should be. Of like, I want to be a coach, and I want to have fun right now, and I want to impress my friends. That that's where it should be coming from. I mean, maybe there's other places it could be coming from, but that's where it should be coming from, as opposed to, what does she want? How do I approach her? How do I impress her? Blah, blah, blah. Things that you're never going to know about a woman, but you were doing these things for you. And then it became about both of you, which I love.
1: Yeah, I will say that it there, there was a transition that I can't, for people who know what a flow state is, it, it was like, first I'm nervous, then I have to do a couple approaches. And then then what you said, kicked in. Oh yeah. I'm not
0: yeah.
1: And so Brad comes up to me later. He says, okay, you're hired. And he says, Josh, every guy who sucks and I forget exactly how you put it, guys have excuses for why they suck. And he says, if a guy thinks that he can't do it because he's short and a tall coach coaches him, he's like, Yeah, you can do it because you're tall, but I can't because I'm short. And he says, Josh, I want to have a guy who has every excuse that I've heard from whatever clients. So he goes, I want a short coach. I want a bald coach. I want an Indian coach. I want a Chinese coach. I want all these different coaches because these are the excuses that people give. And he looks at me and goes, Josh, you're my old coach.
0: Because
1: <gasps> I mean, I started, I read the game when I was in my mid thirties. So this is like 10 years later, I'm in my mid forties. And No, earlier than that, maybe late thirties, early forties. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was in New York. So i got a lot of the New York guys.
0: Oh, I'm actually surprised because looking at you, how old are you? 48. You what? Oh, I didn't think that. I thought you
1: were 30s. I'm so flattered. Yeah,
0: you actually look young. So screw Brad. You're yeah. not his old coach.
1: <laughs> Maybe I will post the video then.
0: Seriously. Because
1: I'm so beautiful. And yeah. So because I, I was in New York, I got a lot of the New York guys. But I also got a lot of the divorce guys and the guys mm. who had been in long relationships. And, and I remember one guy, he was he'd gotten divorced and was still living in the same apartment as his ex-wife.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he felt like he couldn't bring a woman home because I don't I, – this part I didn't get. But it made sense to him. And I just had him do a couple approaches and, and he, you know, a girl smiles at you and suddenly all the beliefs,
0: mm-hmm. like this
1: one thing that you thought was impossible means that all the beliefs that told you it was impossible are wrong. Mm-hmm. And you feel at a gut level. Plus you feel the smile. It's such a, a great man.
0: Yeah. But so many people are afraid for, of that first step, right? Because they don't picture the first step. They picture the big step. And they picture this big outcome. So it becomes really overwhelming for them. So like all of my programs and all of my advice, like every video I have on YouTube is broken down into little bits that can become achievable, right? So that it doesn't seem so overwhelming. That's the coaching that I got when I was younger. And that's the way that I was able to do things. I didn't think about, I want to be a huge business owner. Oh, I want to get one client. Or oh, I want like I would break it into little things so that it wasn't so scary. And I think that that's exactly what you just said. It's like these these smaller things that you can achieve that suddenly change the way that you see things. That it's all possible.
1: Yeah, the, this teaching technique is. I mean, you sound a lot like when Brad talks about it. His pedagogy is really sound. And I mean, now he's moved on. And if you look at how I teach leadership now, it's this this style, the technique is very much how I learned attraction and seduction and things like that, I needed it spelled out. Like first do this, first do that. Like I remember when a guy was like, have you ever thrown a girl against the wall? I was like, whoa, that sounds crazy. What, huh? And then he's like, okay, she's going to be standing here. Your arm is going to be here. You have to put your feet here. You have to put your feet there. You have to put her hand behind her head. And I was like, oh, I can see how it works. Mm-hmm. And then one day I did it and the girl, oh man, I remember thinking like, what am I doing? Is this like violent? And, and, and. She was on my right and the wall is on my left. So I spin around and she's against the wall and the look in her eyes, just just like, I don't know what you just did, but keep doing it. it." Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that just rocked a whole part of my vision of women. I'm sure
0: it rocked her world as well. That's the whole point. You know, it's something magical.
1: Do you teach guys? Is that, is Kino a part of part of what you teach?
0: Yeah. I definitely teach touching. I wouldn't say it's like a heavy focus of mine because most of my coaching is done. I mean, I should do a program on it, especially now in 2019, it's very difficult and challenging to teach touching and acceptance of touching. I haven't really mastered that yet, but, oh, wait, saying my internet connection isn't in, okay. Now it's okay. But yes, I, def, I definitely teach guidelines for touching, for when to touch, how to touch, how to ask for touch if you're unsure of touch, um, how to establish touch as quickly as possible and right away in a safe space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's a heavy focus. My point was, is that I don't do a lot of in-person coaching anymore so that I can actually show people how to do it. Most of my instruction is through video and written information. So sometimes it can be a little bit challenging unless they actually feel the touch. But again, it's definitely something that I semi-focus on.
1: Yeah. The reason I ask is that when I coached, um, I would, my girlfriend at the time was studying to get into medical school and she would, I would when I knew when I'd be coaching, I'd, there was a cafe near Union Square where I'd coach. And I would ask her, is it okay if the guy, if we practice with you? Because I can help with a lot of things, but I'm not, I don't want a guy spinning me around and and like dipping me and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I would always ask at the beginning, how's your touching or Kino? And the guy would be like, oh, it's pretty good. And then I'd see him in action. It was like nowhere. And I'd say, if you want, my girlfriend's around and we can practice a little. And I would teach him how to spin her around and teach him how to dip her and teach these like different things. And without a girl to be there, it would be, it wouldn't, I mean, every now and then I would approach a girl and say, I'm helping my friend. Would you be our, our, can we practice on you for a little bit? And it would be a random stranger.
0: You're a gimme pig. You're right. Exactly. Can we, can we touch you? Do you mind if we just grope yeah. you <laughs> for a few minutes?
1: <laughs> and so it was much easier with the girlfriend there and they, they would learn a lot. And it was really fun to watch her when he would first do something, he would do it awkwardly and she'd be like, "Mm." and then later after like 10, 20 minutes of him practicing, she'd be like, Oh wow. It was such a great difference. Yeah.
0: When you do it with comfort, it's a, there's a huge difference to somebody who's like, can I touch you? And like all nervous and stuff. Yeah. It's, it is weird how, I mean, all humans have it, but for some reason, women are, are not much more vocal about it. They're just, they just feel it differently. But like, yeah, if if somebody touches you, like it does. It depending on how they do it. There's an, an immediate physiological response. Like you, your your body just responds. So I even had I had a birthday party the other day, and this woman that I was talking to, she grabbed my hand and was like stroking my hand. And for me, it was very soon that that happened, but she was making really good eye contact. We were having a good story that we were exchanging. And at first I like froze up. I'm all about touch. I like touch. And that was extremely intense for me. But then afterwards I was like, oh, I actually like that. Cause she was, she didn't seem to flinch when I flinched. She was very comfortable with that. And then she did it again. And I was like, oh, that actually, that feels really nice. And typically I'd be like, Ugh, that's too forward. I can't believe that somebody's doing this. But the way that she carried herself when she did it, I was accepting of it. But if somebody else, maybe if a man did that, maybe I wouldn't be as accepting of it. Uh, But you feel it in your body right away. And it's like a trigger to your brain saying like, this is not normal. This isn't nice. And then you're like, oh, oh, it actually is kind of nice. There's nothing else that's being wanted from this touch. So it might be an evolutionary thing for women that we are so responsive to touch because – that could mean a lot of danger for us in our past and in our present and future as well.
1: I was about to say how women touch each other so much more than men do. Although
0: I know a lot of women who do not like touch. There's plenty of women who are like, do not touch me. And, but when you do touch them, they actually start to warm up to it. But there's a lot of women who just aren't touchers. I, I'm like a semi toucher. I would say, I'm not a very huggy touchy person, but I do like, touch. And especially from people that I'm close with, I like touch, but most people don't do it. Even women, there's, it's not as common as you think for like women are just groping each other at all times and playing with each other's hair. Um, yeah, many people aren't open to touch, especially in 2019. For some reason they should be, I want more hugs and like touching and stuff. I think it would be amazing. Everybody's nervous systems will be much more calm.
1: Yeah, we do seem to find ourselves in a kind of Victorian era these days. Although I guess there's everything now. I mean,
0: Oh my God, there's every world out yeah. there. There's people who are touching all the time, people who are walking around naked in the streets, people who are, <laughs> you know, hating women, loving women, anti there's everything.
1: I'm curious, so 14 years, you put in your 10,000 hours.
0: Oh God, I guess.
1: Have you gone through transformations? Do you feel, I, I feel like you've mastered your craft or your art to an extent where you're comfortable in it. Do you remember going through changes yourself of, of your master of your craft, of your understanding of men, of your understanding of yourself?
0: Oh my. What kind of
1: transitions did you go through? Oh,
0: everything. Yeah. Everything that you just said. So in the very beginning, I was, I was 20 three years old when I started this business. So I was 23, right? I didn't know myself at 23. I thought I did, but I was providing advice based on what I knew at that time. And then I would interact with all of these coaches and psychologists and psychiatrists and experts and men and women. And
1: I would just TV, you were on and TV, TV oh, and tons of and TV
0: yeah. and tons of media stuff. And so I was collecting experiences. And at the same time I was having my own relationship that was transitioning, transitioning into marriage and kids. So yeah, I'm constantly transitioning and learning and, and to you know be fully transparent right now. I'm in the transition of this is also automated for me and built in that I'm sort of hungry for more information now, but I don't even know if it's out there, to be honest. Like, I feel like, as you just said, I sort of mastered my craft and now I'm like, oh, but what what else can I do in this space? So I'm in the place where I'm trying to figure out how. Like what is something new that I can do with this information or what new information is there that's out there? But and then sometimes I sort of feel numb to the information. Like even I I haven't really been doing a lot of interviews lately. I used to do, you know, six a week. Um, So I'm getting back into that cycle. But my first one that I did, I was like, I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I'm used to delivering that information in different ways, not interviewing anymore. So I was like, I don't even know if I'm making sense anymore. So, um, It, it is. A, it's an interesting transition that I'm also in now of being okay with just being okay.
1: That transition that you talk, the coming next. You're not sure what's the coach in me is like. I'm, I can't wait to see what emerges from there, and like, I want like to help people through that.
0: Yeah, well, it's actually so I am. I am working on this new program right now that's coming out in a few weeks, and it's something very different than what I've ever done. Still in the same realm and world, and it's going to be really interesting. So I'm excited to go in that new direction. Um, and then I have a, I have a program coming about connection, uh, as well that I'm releasing next year. So there's definitely more information that I'm, I'm putting out there to people. Yeah. But I'm sort of curious to see what I do next.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting state that you describe yourself in when you have a solid foundation. Cause some people, they need to change because like life is falling apart. They're going to lose their apartment. They, their spouse left. No,
0: everything's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. That's so I feel, I feel like it's just like, I'm like, ah, and everything's good, but everything is really good. I have a wonderful business and I feel very solid in the information that I deliver. And that feels really, really good.
1: I'm going to use this as a, as a, not segue, but a transition point to talk about the environment. So if that's okay, if.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: So is the environment something that, that you care about? Is it something that's important to you? Nah, is it something you Let on? it
0: burn. <laughs> Um, yes. I. Oh, my God. So the other day, this is me living in California. So my husband and I are as cautious as we can be about the environment. But our friend was in town. We live in Los Angeles from, from uh, Chicago. And he turned on our faucet and walked away from it. And we both... <laughs> dove at him saying, what are you doing? And, and everybody there that was also in from Chicago was like, what is wrong with both of you? We're like, we're Mm -hmm. in a drought. Do not waste water. Like I can, like it it made our skin curl. And then afterwards, both of us were like, that actually was really nice that we, (laughs) we did that together. I thought that was kind of cool. So, um, yes, we are definitely, uh, fans of the environment and want it to stick around. So we do as much as possible as we're definitely, you know, not the best in every area, but we do as much as possible.
1: Okay. So there's action and it's deep. It's like, that was, sounds like it was, it was thoughtless in the sense of it was automatic. Of oh
0: my God. We lunged at wasting. him. like my, our, my husband's friends were like, we've never seen you run so fast before. Like <laughs> he's usually a very slow paced guy. And they're like, I, you almost killed him by diving on top of him. Yeah, so it was like a guttural
1: response for both of us. And you make me think of it. Now I have to prepare for the. Uh, we're recording this a couple days before Thanksgiving. And when I'm with family, they they only know on or off. There's no middle with the water. So if they're going to fill a glass with water, that makes sense to go do it as fast as possible. But also if they're just going to use a droplet, they just poof. Oh,
0: and it, it hurts my heart every time. Every time it hurts it. I don't get it.
1: And it's kind of funny when people come to my place. Someone was at my place a little while ago. And I turn on the water just a little bit, all I need. And like, wow, that's really interesting how you do that. I'm like, what? Like use no more than I need? Is that's not even an environmental issue for me. That's just like a harmony. Not being selfish. A, um... <laughs> yes. Yeah, like anyway, so what motivates you? What when you think about the environment, when you when something when you act on it, is there something are there images that come to mind or are there memories or, or things that
0: images that come to mind. Like honestly, I have children now. So maybe it's I want to- them to not drown and burn and be suffocated by horrible air pollution or lack of oxygen. So maybe those are the visuals that pop up for me, but in the past, you know what? It's probably from my father and his, his is, is driven from being, uh, not wanting to spend money. So we always had lights off in our house. If in rooms that we weren't in, do not use water if you don't need to, or excessive water if you don't need to. So that was sort of already programmed into me. And I don't know what my thing was that had me suddenly caring about the environment, but I I would hope. I went to summer camp, so we were always cautious of the environment. It was always about leaving a place better than when you came to it. So if there's garbage on the floor, you pick up the garbage, even if it's not yours. It's just something, I guess, that's always been built in for me.
1: Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Okay, so I heard a couple contrasting things. One is that it's automatic, it's built in. It's something from your father, it's something from camp. It's how you grew up and this guy turning on the water full blast and walking, or I don't know if it was full blast, but walking away from it.
0: Full blast. That's jarred oh. with that. Yeah.
1: And in contrast with that, I'm also hearing the potential for your children, what did you say? It was pretty visceral, drowning.
0: Oh to like burn and drown and like have lack of oxygen oh my god because and i'm i am so uh yeah i'm very afraid now for the environment for like we had hail here the other day
1: really yeah is that, which i take as rare
0: mm-hmm. i mean it's happened before but it hailed it it hailed it, it started raining and then it hailed and then it stopped and went back to sunny that's crazy to me there's floods everywhere they're yeah that is not automated that's you know things that i'm reading about or things that i'm learning about and things that i'm watching i'm i'm very nervous about the environment i've heard this 11 year stacked that is absolutely crazy so 11 year the statistic that says in 11 years like we're effed like
1: (laughs) oh yeah Mm -hmm. we have to be finished transitioning by 10 by 11 years not starting i think most people like oh well i guess in 11 years i'll do something
0: yeah put Every water company or, well, maybe not water companies because they get money for the more water that you use. But I live in Culver City and I loved that they did this. I knew that our toilet was running when we first moved in. I, it, the, there was some sort of hissing sound. We couldn't see where it was coming from. We talked to our contractor and he said, no, 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 it's not running or anything like that. And the, where I live, they came to our door and we and said, after a week of usage, they said, we notice high usage at your house of water and they came and they, they went around the house and they said, this is the source of where it's coming from. And we're able to find it. And they said, it's it's not something you should have known about, but it is something that's happening. But I liked that they were active and saying like, no, you're using too much water. So stop. And we're going to control it. I think that there should be a max. and this is going to be horrible for a lot of people, but like people who are excessive, who, who do brush their teeth and leave the water on, which is horrible. Or like, even if you wash dishes in the sink, you don't have to have the water on the entire time. You can wash the dishes, wash them all, and then you turn the sink on and you wash the dishes off if you want, or put it in the dishwasher because I actually use this less water and it's less expensive.
1: People read it as such a burden. Yeah, you told me that you saw my first TEDx talk. The second, I think you're gonna like the second one because it's about the joy of these. People think it's a burden, it's a chore. And not turning on the water full blast is not like I'm not suffering. And it's not like if I turn a full blast, I'm like, whoa, look at this luxury.
0: It's the easiest thing that you can do. Easiest thing. But yeah. I, you know what? I'm sure I did that as a kid when I was younger. I drove my dad crazy and he probably came running into and turned it off. And that's why I stopped. It's it's just so easy to turn it on and forget about it. And if nobody said anything to you, then you're like, okay, I'm just, this is fine. Totally fine.
1: So I invite you at your option, based on what you're saying, to act on what this these motivations and the the grounding that you had growing up and what you're thinking about, the fear for the anxiety you talked about, to act on that. And it's not, a lot of people think I asked or respond as if I'd asked, what's the most important thing you could do or the biggest thing you could do? But this is not about fixing all the world's problems overnight by yourself. It's to do something with a couple constraints, something you haven't already, you're not already doing, something that is not telling other people what to do, but that you physically yourself do. And that it has to have some measurable result. You don't have to measure it, but in principle,
0: Oh, trust me. Anybody who walks into my house and does anything with water, I tell them. I'm telling them why they turn the water off and why we don't use a lot of water. I'm I'm not shy about that.
1: So how about something that you, for you to do yourself that you're not already doing? And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be small either. It doesn't have to be forever. I'll, I'll ask in a second to hear how it went after you've done it. So it could be short or long.
0: Well, now I've instructed my son when we are out if... We do see trash. We if there's a recycling bin nearby and we see some paper on the ground, like things that aren't gross to touch, we, we pick it up and we put it in the trash can. I, we just started that last week. So I'd like I'd like to definitely continue that.
1: So that's something you're already doing. And unfortunately, oh God, you want me to do more? persistence Yeah.
0: I don't know. Give me an idea.
1: So I mean it sounds like there's stuff you learned from your father. Is there anything haven't that you could continue from there or that these fears See, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the, the anxieties and fears and the hail and the things like that. No, it
0: doesn't keep me up at night, but there's there's definitely things that I, I'm i doing, the things that I am doing now for myself and for them and trying to teach that to them as well about wasting water. And
1: So usually there's things, when someone has a couple things about water, a couple things, there's usually a whole suite of things and they usually have done most of them, but not all of them. And sometimes people have like, oh, I've been meaning also to do this other thing.
0: No, I don't have anything else, or else I would do it.
1: So let's see. I want to help you out. I'll give some examples of of things that other people have done, which now they're connecting with motivations of theirs, which might not be yours. So some people start to pick up trash for the first time, and you know, if you if if you were doing that now and you wanted to increase that, that would count by my rules. Some people actually, a lot of people who are water related things, if they grew up on the beach or they fish with their grandfather, something like that. Then they, they'll go to a body of water and pick up garbage from a beach or from a stream or something like that. They'll go oh. out of their way to do it.
0: I don't see myself doing that because I don't like the ocean. <laughs> um, okay. Give me another idea.
1: There's others around what people eat or there's a lot of stuff around plastic and single. Oh, okay.
0: Stuff. That's my thing probably. And I don't see myself stopping it, but my husband gets mad at how many deliveries I have coming to the house. But I think that I'm actually saving the carbon footprint because there could be me driving back and forth somewhere or there could be this other person doing five deliveries at once and reducing the carbon footprint. But I don't know. So I've been trying to – what is it called? When you pull things together so that it's not like I'm ordering one thing here and one thing there. I try to collect them. Consolidate. Yes. So I'm trying to reduce – the amount of deliveries that I have.
1: So if this is something you've been trying to do, this would be perfect. And in fact, this happens all the time. People are like, oh, you know, I have been meaning to do X. This might be an occasion to do it. And I'm not asking you to do a quantum change for the rest of your life. It could be short-term. It could be long-term.
0: Yeah. Want to give it a shot? Yeah.
1: Okay. So now I say, how about making it a SMART goal? So can we make it specific? And, and time bound is, do you know this phrase smart, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time bound? Yes.
0: How do we make this specific and and time bound? Well, so what I've started to do now is I collect things in my cart in Amazon. And then when I have five things or more in there, that's when I'll do an order. So there isn't really a specific time. I I'm starting to do it right now. And instead of just saying, Oh, I have two things I'll, if they're not immediate things that I do need then I collect them in, in clumps of five or, or greater and then have them sent. And then I, I, I've also adjusted the delivery date because the later delivery dates, if you don't have it coming one day or two days, then it typically all comes together. But if you have it, it's, if it, you separate it out, then they can come in different days. So if you do it to like the time where they give you the free dollar or whatever, if you choose a later date, then, then it comes all together in one delivery or sometimes it does.
1: Well, if that's what you've already been doing, what did you want to do to augment that? It sounded like you wanted to do no, more. No, I'm
0: not. I've, I've started to do it. I'm not. I think I've done one order like that so far. So to uh, continue uh, doing that.
1: Okay. So to to consolidate your Amazon shipments into at least five, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And how long do you think you'd have to do this for to get a feel for how it works or not? If you want to keep doing it or not. Or, for a
0: pattern? I think about a month. Yeah. Okay. You just have to be active on it.
1: So would you be up for talking about how, about your experience in a month? Sure. Well, that's what, I mean, that advice, well, I just threw in some accountability there.
0: I don't think it'd be interesting for people, but if you want to talk about it in a month, I can definitely tell you. I don't, for me, that's not like a huge enough thing. I already do a lot of the things that would be big changes for me that I could then talk to you about, but I'm I'm happy to to talk to you about how it's going in a month's okay. time.
1: Well, the big thing that I find is it's not the big or small, but it's the meaningful. It's yeah, for sure. The feeling, if it's not big enough, it's not worth doing. I think is crippling a lot of people from starting. And I can't say for sure. I predict that you will like it more than you think, but I can't say for sure. I don't want to leave the witness here too much.
0: Yeah. I don't, th- I don't, I don't think I'm going to dislike it. I don't think it's going to really have a major impact, to be honest on me. On like, yeah.
1: I'm glad that you're sharing this perspective because I think a lot of listeners feel that way. And I think it'll be interesting to hear the results.
0: Yeah. Okay. Happy to talk about it.
1: So I'd like to wrap up with a question. Is there anything you that didn't come up that you want to share or anything you want to say directly to the listeners before signing off?
0: No, 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 no. I've actually been very happy with how this has gone.
1: Well then Marnie, I look forward to next time and thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And you're going to be on my podcast as well. The Ask Women podcast. I think we're recording in January or when are we recording? Yes. It's so, January.
1: I'm like, oh, you're making me wait so long.
0: I know, but it's actually like right around the corner, which is insane. But yes, you are coming onto our show. So I'm excited to have you on.
1: And also, everyone's now thinking, how can I get coaching from you? So, how, how do they get coaching from you? And I'll have all the links written down. But- oh,
0: wonderful. You, there's just, there's really just one link. It's going to winggirlmethod.com. You sign up for my newsletters on the homepage and then you can get all the information about me. And you can go to winggirlmethod.com and also, Go listen to the podcast, go to my uh, YouTube channel from there. All of it's in one place. And yeah, that's, it's an easy little click that you can do. Yeah, that's where they got all the information. I'm horrible at pitching myself, aren't I? Uh, (laughs) But yeah, just go to wing I can pitch
1: you that. I've been listening to a bunch of your stuff and like the funny stuff is really funny. The insightful stuff is really insightful. And it really is coming from a place that like you, it's rare to find the, the knowledge and experience that you speak with and the, how do I put it? it's not heavy. You know, it's like, it's really, it
0: shouldn't be dating is fun. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's people get so for many people, it's like, Oh, this, how do I deal with this? It's so deep. And, and you make it very approachable, very accessible. That's accessible. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, that. I,
1: I pitch you better than you do. Yeah.
0: That was wonderful. Well, I, you know what? I have a background that's very similar to all the clients that I work with. I used to be anxious, uncomfortable, shy, mute, didn't like myself very much. Uh, and didn't believe that I could have things that I wanted. So I, I, I understand the heavier side of it. And I think once I started making things lighter and doing them in smaller bits, it all became easier and then fun and then enjoyable.
1: I want to make this the start of the next conversation. So let's break there Okay,
0: perfect. and start
1: again in about a month. So we'll schedule the next one when we can. Okay. And I'm going to thank you again, Marnie. Thank you very much. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I felt like I got to see into a quasi-secret world or perspective that I knew about, but hadn't actually heard from directly and openly from someone deeply in it. And she and I have mutual friends, so I was really pleased to hear stuff that I hadn't heard before. I'm also pleased that my conversations with Brad led to more listener feedback than average, so I suspect that this episode might too. I feel gratitude to Marnie for listening to my transitions and my concerns and talking to me about them. Let me know what you think about for this podcast direction. And of course, also contact Marnie for coaching. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior, There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.